So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Oh, Sion answers on the other end. Oh, explosive two-handed jam. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch, a New Orleans Pelicans podcast powered by NOLA.com. Uh, I'm Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com, here this morning with Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. Uh, it is about 10.45 Wednesday. Uh, the NBA trade deadline is coming up. That's 2 p.m. Central deadline on Thursday. There's been a little Drew Holiday budge, buzz. It, it doesn't look like a deal is going to happen. I mean, I, I wouldn't wager that it does. It's like D-Buzz. Yeah, I, I, D-Buzz. That's, that's <laughs> the word I was looking for uh, right there. Um, Pelicans are also coming off kind of a hard, hard-fought hard loss against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, today we're just going to you know, get into kind of different trade scenarios, um, give a, a little insight on kind of the holiday situation, and then we'll talk about that Bucks game, which... I thought it was a really fun game, by the way. Just a great test for Zion. It was really fun for three out of four quarters. And the third quarter, I think, proved just how far the Pelicans have to go. Because they lost that game in the third quarter. They were leading at halftime. (laughs) I think I said to you before the game, I think the Pelicans get out to a lead in this game, but no lead is going to be safe. And it's going to be like getting hit by a truck. And that's what happened in the third quarter. Like, they just could not hold up the Bucks just come in waves and the Pelicans couldn't stand up. And they, they fought. I have to give them credit. They showed grit like they have all season. I looked up the numbers and in 14 of their 31 losses, they have won the fourth quarter in terms of scoring. I don't think there's many NBA teams you could probably say that about. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you can make the case that the Bucks are the single toughest matchup for Zion Williamson in the entire league. But we're going to talk about that the latter half. Um, so I, I just want to kind of go over, you know, the timeline of events with, with Drew Holiday. There was some interest, or I guess a report from Mark Stein way back in December that Holiday, you know, might have been available in a trade. This was when the Pelicans were, you know, kind of in the middle of that 13-game losing streak. That cooled off. Um, and as we've gotten closer to Thursday's deadline, um, the buzz has picked back up a little bit. The Athletic Sham Sharania had a report out on, on Friday that called Holiday the most coveted potential trade target in the entire league. Uh, I would agree with that. You know, I think a big reason why is Holiday's under contract through next year. So, you know, you're getting one of the 20, 25 best players in the NBA for a season and a half. I think that's that's pretty significant. Zach Lowe backed up that reporting saying that uh, the Nuggets and the Miami Heat are, are interested in Holiday. That's kind of those have been the two teams linked to him the most. Uh, Lowe did say that, that Michael Porter Jr. and the Heat's Tyler Hero uh, probably would not be included in any deal. I would say that kind of makes it unlikely. And then we also got a, a report from Chris Mannix with Sports Illustrated saying that a team would have to blow away New Orleans for a deal to get done. Um, Woj reiterated that this morning, uh, basically saying that the Pelicans are content with Holiday on their roster and, unless they just get their socks knocked off, then he'll probably remain here through the trade deadline. So right now, it's looking like he's going to be in a Pelicans uniform, barring something kind of unforeseen. Yeah, and I and I think too one of the reasons that he's suddenly becoming this, you know, coveted guy is he signed a, I think it was a supermax deal back when he signed it, 
which he's making $26 million this year. Uh, you know, over the next two seasons, he's scheduled to make 25 and $26 million, which sounds like a lot, except if you look at a guy like Chris Paul, who's making 40 And, you know, uh, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard both signed their max deals. They're making well above 30 So it's actually, in terms of what he provides versus what you're paying, I think that contract now starts to look very equitable, something you can stomach. Whereas when you signed it, it's just the first couple of years on a, on a Supermax are just a bear. Yeah, I, I can feel a lot of Pelicans fans' frustrations with Holiday right now. You know, a lot of that is related to the fact that he went 5 of 14 from the field in Houston. He went 3 of 14 from the field against Milwaukee. You know, Drew himself, I think his confidence is a little bit shaken right now. I, I saw him out in the court after the game last night getting up extra shots. That's kind of the, the Kobe Bryant move. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, he's not playing particularly well these last two games. Not that you would use, like, two games as, like, the deciding factor to trade someone or not trade someone. But I would just say, you know, an overarching point, and one of the reasons why the Pelicans feel comfortable hanging on to him, you know, unless they're just going to get a killer offer, like, the starting five that they're rolling out right now is still playing really good. I mean, the Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Derek Fivers, Fivesome, is outscoring opponents by 16.3 points per 100 possessions. In the 87 minutes it's played together, the Pelicans can just continue to put out a really good starting five for the rest of this year and then reevaluate their options this summer. To put into perspective just how bad that game was for him last night, he scored seven points. That's the least he's scored in a game, in any game he's played in since December 2018. I want to say it was December 12th. It was a, it was a game against the Celtics. He had seven points. Like, that's not a typical Drew Holiday effort. You know, as difficult as that matchup was for Zion, it's difficult for Drew as well because, you know, he's not an elite shooter. He gets in the paint. He takes a lot of junk shots with, you know, lefty floaters in the lane. And when you play the Bucks, there's going to be two seven-footers there at all times. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that that is a reason one way or another where the needle will turn, will, will go and say, oh, well, we wanted him until he couldn't shoot against the Bucks, you know? Or for the Pelicans to say, like, this guy can't get it done. It's just, you know, those games happen. Because don't forget, you know, he missed six games and came back and completely decimated the Grizzlies on the road. So, I mean, it's not like he hasn't been showing off this season. He's had one of his better seasons, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a very good player. I mean, I think that, honestly, part of the, the disappointment this year is that, you know, we thought that without Anthony Davis, oh, maybe he has this other gear uh, I don't think he has that other gear. Like, I don't think he's really one of the, the top 10 players in the NBA. He's not capable of getting to that level. But he's very good. I mean, he's, he's going to have a few bad games sprinkled in, but he's still this elite two-way force. Jeff, I want to hit on, you know, one of the teams that I guess the Pelicans have kind of been linked to specifically, and that's the Denver Nuggets. Late last night, the Nuggets, you know, made a trade that, uh, they offloaded some guys who are, are going to get paid this summer, Malik Beasley and, and Juancho Hernan Gomez. But the Christian they, Clark favorite, Juancho. <laughs> I, I'm a huge Juancho guy. Uh, the, the regular season game in 2016 where the Nuggets hit 24 threes, Juancho hit six, is still the most fun regular season game I've ever been to. But this is not a Nuggets podcast. I won't go down Not the yet. Um, <laughs> um, so, look, I the Nuggets appear to be primed to make another move. They have four point guards on their on their roster right now. Like, they're going to do something. Um, I don't think there's a trade to be made with the Pelicans. This is just kind of my gut feeling. You know, a lot of people have said, oh, Michael Porter Jr. has to be a part 
of of any deal for a Drew Holiday deal to get done. You know, he's kind of that you know stud player in a rookie contract. He doesn't have to be paid for a while. Here's what I would say. I think the Nuggets are not trading Michael Porter Jr. under any circumstance. And I also think that the Pelicans are not that interested in Michael Porter Jr. I think, you know, medically speaking, they're not uh, big believers that his body could hold up at the NBA. And this is just kind of my feel. Um, So, you know, I I don't think either side is, is interested in moving or acquiring Michael Porter Jr. And then that kind of leaves you with like, the Pelicans could offer you, or I'm sorry, the Nuggets could offer you like Gary Harris, Monte Morris, Mason Plumlee, and Houston's first-round pick, and I, I just don't think that's enough to get Drew Holiday. No, and I think that it's important to reinforce the idea that this is not a video game. I feel like I've said this since the beginning of the year when the buzz started around Drew Holiday, and like it seems like whenever there's buzz around a guy for a potential trade, it gets forgotten that both teams both sides of that trade have to feel like they're benefiting for a trade to happen like the nuggets aren't going to make a trade that they feel like they're coming up behind on and the pelicans aren't going to make a trade that they feel like they're coming up behind on because both sides have the option to say we're better off staying pat and it just never felt like there was enough on either side of that to to really make sense you know either the nuggets were going to have to give up too much or the Pelicans were going to have to give up too much, or the Nuggets were going to have to throw in a guy like Michael Porter Jr. And if that's simply not a guy the Pelicans want to add, then it's a non-starter. And and it always it seems like every year there's so much hype around the trade deadline, like oh this guy's going to move, this guy's going to move, and then it and then it fizzles, and people wonder why. It's like because these are complex things. These aren't as simple as plugging in names to the trade machine as much as we'd like it to be. Uh, and uh, I think that's what you're seeing here. But yeah, that, that's. I think it's really interesting, like the Michael Porter Jr. thing. I mean, on paper, that makes sense. That seems like that could be the missing piece, but only if it works. Only if both teams think it's the right move. Yeah, NOLA2000 asked me on Twitter, do you think Denver will budge on Porter Jr. in the summer? And if they would, would you take Denver's package above a Raptors or Heat package for Drew? Um, you know, kind of like I just outlined, I don't think that the Pelicans have Michael Porter Jr. Um, I, I say that fairly confidently, so... You know, maybe maybe you do look at a package from like the Raptors or the Heat this summer. I don't have as much of a feel on that one. Um, I don't. I mean, I think they would certainly listen if if the Heat were willing to dangle Tyler Hero Jr. or well, Tyler Hero Jr. Like Michael Porter Jr. Got everyone's got a stuff. junior now. <laughs> Tyler Hero. Um, but you know, I, I think for a deal like this to get done, it would take like a stud guy on his rookie deal and and one that the Pelicans are interested. That's that's kind of the only way I, I would see something like this getting done because the Pelicans don't really need like draft picks. Like they kind of got a, a King's ransom from the Lakers. They don't need like more first round picks. You can only draft so many. You can only keep so many rookies. It's like the Celtics dilemma because they never made any trades with all these stock picks they've stockpiled and now they have guys like Carson Edwards riding the bench. You can only develop so many players at a time. You still have Didi Lozada Silva over in Sydney who you're going to want to bring in who looks really good. You know, you're going to want to give him time. Nikhil's already not getting time. Uh, Jackson Hayes has kind of forced himself under rotation minutes, but that wasn't the plan. You know, so you can only bring those guys along as quickly as as possible and the pelicans are in kind of this weird thing where they're treading the line between rebuilding and not rebuilding in the sense that this is not going to be a protracted thing or at least it's not intended to be a protracted thing if they fail this season and don't get to the eighth seed 
the idea will be run it back. We feel like this is a this is a roster that can compete. You know, if things hadn't broken the way they had at the beginning of the season, maybe that would have been this year. But, you know, you're going to add a few pieces, you're going to develop the young guys, and you're going to go. You're not really going to benefit from adding another the, the 23rd pick in the draft. That's not going to move the needle more than keeping Drew around would either way. So it's, a, it's, a, it's just a weird situation. Interestingly, we're seeing the Nuggets, like they were the team that had a bunch of picks. You know, a lot of that was the mellow deal, and they drafted really well. And they won a lot of games with a killer roster, and then they kind of just had to give away like two young, promising players for for next to nothing in Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez right at this deadline. I mean, that's a good problem to have, and like you like to have those talented guys in their rookie deals. But yeah, there's only there's only so much space, and and the Pelicans already have a bunch of first round picks in the war chest, which leads me to believe that you already want you want like a player who's already in the league and has shown promise on that rookie deal and. You know, at some point, you're probably going to have to consolidate too. So, I don't see a deal with the Nuggets happening. Um, just my opinion. Yeah, they're a lot closer to buyers than sellers. Let's put it that way. I mean, even if they're not a legitimate playoff team, I think that this team thinks that it's a roster that can compete. Like I said, it's not going to be a team that sells off assets if it's not building to an immediate, you know, point. Uh, so yeah, I think I think you're right on there. I guess for me. The Eye of Sauron, as I refer to Wadge a lot of the time, <laughs> is uh, uh, it's been on Drew Holiday. Everyone's been looking at Drew Holiday. Is there any reason to think, you know, if he becomes off the table, if it's just like, okay, we're backing off just like the Warriors did with D'Angelo Russell, do you look at a guy like Horford, Redick, Etwan as, you know, kind of a lesser move, but something that might net, you know, just more of a long-term kind of viable option? for the Pelicans in terms of contract, in terms of getting money off the books or, you know, being a facilitator in a three-team deal. Yeah, I mean, favors favors is, you know, interesting. Um, the Pelicans do have his bird rights. He's an unrestricted free agent this summer. So, like, they could re-sign him and, and go over the cap doing so. So that's, that's you know, one reason why... I could I could see him you know, sticking around. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, we we saw earlier this season how important a piece he is, even if his value has diminished slightly because you have Zion Williamson back in the fold. But you think they'll pay they'll pay enough to keep him around? It seems uh, like he, I mean, you know if he gets like a fifteen million dollar contract, do you think they would they would pay that and go over the cap? That's I don't know. It's hard to say because like I mean, ideally you want a, a five man who can shoot threes next to Zion, but like. Derek Favors is still a, a very good player, um, so I, I could certainly see him being in play. And like, you don't want to go into next season with Jackson Hayes as your starting center. Um, well, I think that's the question, right? I think yeah. the question is how quickly do you think that the the curve is for Jackson Hayes? Where can he be the starting center next year? If he can be, then no, <laughs> right, right. So yeah. if you're saying no, then that means that it makes sense to keep Derek Favors around because, you know, maybe you do give him, you know, he, he's on a two-year $37 million contract right now. That 29 years old, you think he has an, at least two more good years in those legs where you could give him, you know, a contract in that range. He's probably going to get above the middle level, whatever that ends up being. So if Jackson Hayes is not the starter next year, then, then I think that it does make sense for that. There's really no trade that you could make that would 
be more beneficial than ha having the ability to having the cap tax flexibility of having his bird rights. Yeah, you want to at least have the chance to, to re-sign him this summer. You want to have him as a viable option to, to be the starting center next year, and I think that kind of goes out the window if you trade him, obviously. Um, so I, I don't see Fave going anywhere. Um, Etwan, I mean, it's kind of interesting. He's an expiring deal. I think Etwan is like a player who could actually help a, a playoff team. I mean, I think Etwan is a player who could absolutely help the Philadelphia 76ers. Like, they just need shot-making. They need guys who are like credible three-point threats. So, I mean, I, I think he legitimately could help a you know playoff team or a contender as kind of an eighth, ninth, tenth man or, or whatever. Um, I don't know, you know, what kind of return you could get back for him. Uh, but I, I guess that's one I see. Other than that, I don't and know. Redick, I mean... The, Redick's, I don't think Reddick's going anywhere. Uh, I think, you know, it's kind of up to JJ if, if you wanted to do something or not. You know, he just kind of has that pull. He's so respected in the league. He signed a two-year deal here. He moved his whole family down here. His kids are in school here. I think it's kind of up to him, and I think he wants to stay here. Right, and I think that last part you made is a good point, which is, yeah, he chose to sign here. This wasn't a trade. This, like, it would, it would not be. I think trading players and how they are traded and just the narrative around it says a lot about how a team how a franchise treats its players you know Josh Hart when he was traded from the Lakers tweeted something along the lines of you know I would have liked a phone call rather than learning about it on Twitter and I think that again because these are people and this is not a video game you have to consider stuff like that like he chose to sign here he moved his family down here he's 35 years old <laughs> the it, to turn around and trade him mid-season would not be a good look for a team that you know wants to become a kind of a destination yeah, and I think especially for small market teams, it's important that the players, you know, think you're you've treated them the right way. Like I know that's a huge emphasis in Denver. Like the Nuggets, when they trade guys, like those guys get some input. They make a point to, you know, make sure those guys respect the Nuggets even after they're not playing for the Nuggets anymore. You know, I think Griff uh, would make a move if he really felt like he needed to make a move for like a Drew Holiday or something, but. I think in general, it's very important for the Pelicans to treat their players the right way. And they don't want their players like feeling like they got jilted, kind of like you've, you've seen a couple players who played on the Rockets feel. There was a good story out that kind of went through all of the crazy, like how people found out they were traded. And Ben McLemore was on his honeymoon in Ibiza. Ibiza? How do you say that? Ibiza? Ibiza? Ibiza. Okay. It's like a soft Z. Anyway, he was on his honeymoon and he found out, like he was on Facebook Live and someone was like, hey, Ben, you're going to the, you know, you're going to the Rockets or I can't remember. Maybe oh, he's going back to the Kings. But then you have guys like Favors who obviously didn't play in the Nuggets, uh, but he, he played for the Jazz and they had to trade him. They didn't have a choice. They, tra they, they basically asked him where he wanted to go and he said, I want to go to the Pelicans. And they traded him to the Pelicans. They got basically, what, they get a second round pick? So, I mean, like, there's there's value in that and I think that, you know, as you kind of try to be, build a culture around a basketball team, I think that's, that, that can be more important than the assets you get back at times. And I think this is one of them in terms of JJ. Yeah. Um, so, my prediction is that the Pelicans stand pat. Maybe a move around the margins, but I, I don't see them you know, doing anything major. Um, is there anything else you want to kind of add to this this trade discussion before I take this break? Just, you know, over or under, how many hours do you think Woj has slept in the last three days? I'm going <laughs> to set it at three. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll say three and a half. It was kind of funny. I was listening to his uh, his trade deadline podcast on the way back on the drive from Houston, and one of the the reads that he does is for Five Hour Energy. Which is, <laughs> shout out to Five Hour Energy's marketing people. That's just a brilliant ad placement, right? And I'm sure you know. I I am interested in you know if he's a coffee guy. That's what I want. The question I want answered. See a coffee guy, a Red Bull guy. <laughs> You know, because there's got to be something. <laughs> he read those ads with vigor. He really might be a five-hour energy guy. He believes it. He believes what he's selling. You got, that's that's you can really sell a product when you're uh, when when you believe it works. But yeah, that's all I got. All right, we'll be right back on Birdwatch. Williamson just vice grips the basketball and takes it away. Back here on Birdwatch, a New Orleans Pelicans podcast powered by NOLA.com. We are on Apple. We are on Spotify. Mash the subscribe button. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your coworkers. Tell your dog. Um, you know, I I had a blast just watching that game last night. I thought it showed the Pelicans and, and Zion Williamson specifically how far there still is to go. I mean, the Bucks are an absolute freaking machine. They're on pace to win 70 games right now. They have the best point differential in the NBA by like four points per 100 possessions or, or something just absolutely absurd like that. They're number one in offense. They're number two in defense. I mean, they're... Number one in pace too, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're they're one of, you know, the most complete jugger, regular season juggernauts we've, we've seen in a long, long time. Um, Zion Williamson shot five for 19 in this game. Uh, it's no secret that, you know, he, he dominates around the rim most games. That's where... You know, he does his work. We've seen that ever since that opening night game when he hit four threes. That was always going to be kind of fluky. <laughs> um, Zion shot five for 16 from five feet in this game. The Bucks are the best team in the NBA protecting the rim with, with Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, you know, even though that is, those were some ugly shooting numbers from Zion, I have to say I was still pretty encouraged by his performance um i mean i i admired his fight mostly nine out of ten players get discouraged in that situation and he just kept coming at him no i mean the shooting was what it was but if you watched you know Giannis and brooks mannerisms in the fourth quarter when when the pelicans they went into that quarter down 15 they cut it to seven and obviously you know the bucks are the bucks but if you watch their mannerisms early in that quarter they were Frustrated. They were tired. They, they were they were sore. Like that play when Zion just basically pulled off a Mortal Kombat finishing move and just ripped the ball out of Giannis's hands. <laughs> I mean, if this was you know a six six guard, you would be like, oh, what a great play. If this was Kevin Knox, you'd be like, okay, it's Kevin Knox. This is which he did do that too, if you remember. Which I'm still not sure Kevin Knox has ever been the same. This is Giannis. This is a guy who's the odds-on favorite to win his second MVP in a row. He's massive. He's incredibly strong. And Zion just ripped the ball out of his hands like he was a toddler. That was an absolutely ridiculous play. I mean, you just don't rip the ball out of Giannis Antetokounmpo's hands. No. It just doesn't happen. And he's a seven-footer holding the ball over his head. Think <laughs> like, he's got strength here. That's why you hold the ball over your head. Yeah. Like, there's a reason that when you rebound, there's a reason when you see guys rebound the ball, they go like this. They, I'm lifting my hands up over my head every <laughs> podcast. But, uh, like, they do that for a reason. And it's going to be difficult for anybody to rip the ball away from you. And Zion did it like it was nothing. I thought there was some interesting stuff to come out after that game. Um, Zion basically, you know, 
he was a, he was a little, I guess, sheepish. He said he was sheepish at some points during that game that he was shooting so much and he wasn't making it. I mean, this is a guy who's not accustomed to gunning at all. Um, I mean, he, he shot 68% from the field at Duke. Uh, he shot 50% or better in 29 of 32 games at the college level. His worst shooting performance, you know, going into Tuesday's game, uh, he went 7 for 13 in a win over Cleveland. I mean, he's a guy who's who's hardly ever, sh- you know, making less than half his shots in a game. So I think for him to go 5 for 19 from the field was pretty strange. Uh, he said he looked at Lonzo at one point, and he was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm kind of shooting too much. And, and Lonzo provided some encouragement. He's like, you're our guy. Like, we're, we're going down with you. Like, we need you to, to, to just keep going. I, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that it says a lot about Zion because he's not just saying that. I think that's that's genuine. He doesn't want to be the guy who's getting in the way. You know, Gentry has said throughout the seven-game experience that, like, one of the things he's seen from Zion is he's really conscious about trying not to just be in people's way. And, you know, his development is going to be realizing that he's the one people need to get out of his way. He's that type of player. That stretch when he ripped the ball out of Giannis's hands, that was, that was, you know, only one of like several plays in a row in that run that he just went downhill and just attacked Giannis and Brooke. And he didn't score every time, but they were like, they were like body blows in a fight. You know, he got to the free throw line 14 times. And to me, the most encouraging thing from that game for him is he made 10 of them. He's yeah. in his last three games. He's shot seventy-five percent from the free throw line. After his first four games, I think he shot you know sub forty percent. And for a guy who's going to be living at the free throw line, you know his the ability for him to shoot over seventy percent, even over sixty-five percent, be be serviceable, is a big, big, big difference. Um, you're talking about you know six, eight points can swing a lot of these games for the Pelicans. Oh, no, no question about it. I mean, if he's if he's shooting around 75% from the free throw line, I, I think you take that all day with him. I mean, LeBron is a 73.5% free throw shooter for his career. I mean, he's kind of been that guy for his entire career. Um, so if, if Zion's make a three out of every four, I think you're in, you're in excellent shape. Um, Drew Sokol asks, what is the coaching staff working with Zion most on? Help defense, pick and roll defense. Or are they just trying not to overwhelm him? Uh, I think it is a, a tricky dance of, of not trying to throw too much at him too early. You know, it's interesting. I know the Pelicans uh, feel that there's still a long way to go with, like, reintegrating Zion into the offense. They felt like they kind of lost a lot of that progress they made during the preseason. I think Zion mostly in these seven games has it's just been like, all right, we're just going to throw it to you on the block, and you're really good at posting up, so we're going to let you do that. And you can also just be an absolute demon on the offensive glass and get your points that way too. I think in the preseason you saw a lot of Zion catching it off movement, catching it facing the rim. You know, I think in the regular season it's been mostly him with his back to the basket. So I think that that's still kind of a work in progress. All that said, Alvin Gentry felt like this was – the best game in terms of Zion and, and Brandon Ingram coexisting this game against Milwaukee. Ingram had 32 points. You know, Zion obviously struggled to, to shoot the ball, but I think... Still at 20. Yeah, still at 20. But I think, you know, this game against Milwaukee was more of what the Pelicans are looking for. I mean, I, I think they're on the right pace. It's just going to take time. 
Yeah, I think if there was anything I was concerned with over the first six games in terms of how Zion's been incorporated, it's that, you know, Brandon Ingram, who is literally an all-star, kind of faded into the background, especially in big moments. Alvin, after the Rockets game, said, like, we can't not give Zion the ball for four minutes in a row in the, in the fourth quarter. And, and while that's true, you know, like, those were the moments where you would just give Brandon Ingram the ball and say, go to work in the first half of the season. And it would be, it would, would the worst case scenario is as you work Zion and you lose all the chemistry that has been built around Brandon Ingram being, you know, just a knockdown score. So it was it was really positive to see, and he and he scored thirty two points in a game. They only scored one hundred eight. It's not like it was a hundred and forty to one hundred and thirty like it was you know a couple of games ago, and uh, he everyone was getting those numbers. He scored them efficiently and within the within the offense. And Zion after the game, he was asked about that specifically. He said, "Yeah, it's been holding it down for the team, so we've got to learn how to feed off each other in positive ways." So it was great to see us kind of doing that better. So I mean, he's aware that it hasn't been smooth to this point. Um, so that that's even in a loss, I think that's a big positive as a, as two guys who you probably look at as you know the cornerstones that you want to build off of. Yeah, and as far as the Pelicans like working with him on his defense, I mean, I, I yeah, I think they would like him to like slide his feet better and, and contain on the perimeter. But uh, you know, he missed forty four games, and he's a two hundred and eighty five pound man. I mean, I I think they're they're not really saying much. I mean, they they you just got to give him some time, really. I mean. That's that's clearly I think been you know his biggest weakness besides like outside shooting is defending one on one on the perimeter. But you know th- I think that's just a case of a guy still kind of getting his legs under him. That and I mean how many nineteen year olds are good NBA defenders? Yeah, they, they don't exist. I mean Giannis didn't come into the league as a good defender. He didn't even come to the league as a seven footer. But yeah, I mean I think Zion admitted like he's. So there are points where he thinks he can jump and get his 45-inch vertical, and he's only getting to 35. <laughs> only. Which, for a normal human, I'd be like standing on a stepladder. But he's he's just not fully there. And it's like it feels like this seven-game stretch has been months. I don't know why. It's been two weeks. He's been playing NBA basketball for two weeks. He is nowhere near peak physical condition. He is nowhere near knocking the rust off completely uh so i think that patience is important and i think that you also have to understand that he's not going to get the minutes that he got last night consistently that was i was surprised to see him come back in to finish that game out i think that they're going to be smart about how they throttle him over the rest of the season um and i wouldn't be shocked to see them really start tamping down on the extended minutes you know, if, if if there are a few more losses piling up here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this reintegration process as a whole, yes, there have been a few bumps, but I think this has gone about as well as you could have hoped to be, to be honest. Uh, I mean, Zion absolutely looks like the real deal. Uh, I got to be honest, I never had any doubts. I mean, I think if you watch him at Duke, it was clear he had can't miss, you know, potential, and he had the right attitude too. I think you've seen, you know, both of those things so far. So I think you have to be highly encouraged by what you've seen. Um, the, the quote that he had that you just you know, hit on a little bit was so funny. Um, you know, someone asked him like, you know, do you still feel like limited at all after missing you know more than half the season? Uh, he said it's frustrating sometimes when I feel like I can go do my 45 inch <laughs> labor dunk and I'm at like 30 or 35. 
Unbelievable, man. I mean, imagine being frustrated that you can only jump 35 inches in the air and you're <laughs> six foot seven and 285 pounds. You know, it's a, uh, it's his world. We just live in it. Yeah. Uh, so things are going pretty well. If if you feel like, oh, I'm I'm struggling and he's still, you know, only getting 35, 40 inches on on yeah. the vert or whatever. He's It'll averaging ni- he's averaging 19.6 points, eight rebounds, 2.1 assists. Yeah. His first seven games of his career. It's pretty decent. I mean, they're overall just crushing people when he's on the floor, though. And, like, I guarantee if you asked Gentry, you know, two weeks ago for the Spurs game, and you said, like, no stats whatsoever. He averages five points, three rebounds, and he still has not had any health scares over this seven-game stretch. He would have taken that in a heartbeat. And, like, to me, that is the biggest thing that he looks healthy. He doesn't, you know, he looks slow as if he's getting into shape, but he doesn't look like he's lumbering on that knee. He doesn't look like there's any hesitation, even if he's not getting that full leap right now. Like, this is incredibly positive. Even with losses to good teams. I mean, they they lost to San Antonio, Denver, Houston, and Milwaukee. It's not like this is a tough schedule that they're on right now. Like, they're not, you know, they're not just dropping. If they had lost to Cleveland, then I would would have some uh, concern I mean, look, I said this at the top of the podcast. I think the Bucks are the single toughest matchup for Zion Williamson in the entire league because, you know, his game is just so predicated on scoring from five feet and in. And the Bucks not only allow the the lowest percentage of field goals at the rim, they also allow just the lowest field goal percentage. I mean, to do to do both of those things where you're allowing the fewest shots and the low shooting percentage at at the rim is pretty remarkable. And to rain threes the way they do. Oh yeah, they're a, a killer team. Um, they should be. They're the favorite in my my eyes. They are the team that you, they're the team to beat in the seven game series in the playoffs. I don't see any team in the East beating them. I think that of all the teams that I've seen live, you know, honestly. Probably over the last few years, I think that's the most impressive group in terms of be, like watching them live and really seeing how they stretch the floor and how fast they get up and down the floor. I mean, they turned that seven. Like the Pelicans had a lot of positive momentum. They cut it to seven. All I looked down to send a tweet. I looked back up. It was fourteen. <laughs> it was that fast. And like I've never. It's very. There are very few teams in NBA history that you you can look at and do, that have done the things they do as well as they do. Um, and it was remarkable to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they should absolutely be considered the, the favorites in the East. Um, you know, as far as like a finals against the Clippers or the Lakers, um, that would be really interesting. I'm not sure who I'd pick. You know, it's it's tough because I think that like how, what kind of team you are in the regular season and what kind of team you are in the playoffs, it's never been more different in NBA history because teams have, have just – a lot of teams, not the Bucks, have just started to like devalue the regular season. I mean, n- no team more so than the Clippers. Right. I mean, who knows what they're going to look like at full strength? Maybe, maybe they're ne- never able to flip that switch, but maybe they are and, and just like go up two gears. So it's tough in that regard. But the Bucks are an absolute freaking juggernaut right now, uh, on pace for seventy wins. Like I said, um, I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they they approach you know the 73 win record that the Warriors said I don't I mean I definitely don't see them breaking it but like I wouldn't be surprised if they won 71 72. I don't think they're gonna try to break it I think that's the difference you know I think if when they clinch and they have five games at the end of the regular season they're gonna start arresting folks and it's like if they break it they break it all I think all you need to know about the Bucks is you can talk about 
them in a game against the Pelicans for, what, 15 minutes now or so. We haven't even mentioned the names Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe. You know, like these are very good NBA players. I mean, Chris Middleton is probably the biggest all-star snub out there. I, I tweeted this yesterday. You know, do you remember the Chris Middleton trade? He got traded from the Pistons to the Bucks. Do you remember that at all? Uh, I don't remember it. I, I mean, I remember reading like a Zach Lowe like retrospective about that trade and like Chris Middleton was like playing in those three on three games with the end of the bench guys and he'd spent some time in the G League. Uh, so yeah, he was, I mean, he was kind of, you know, a nobody before he, he burst onto the scene with the Bucks. And it's actually convenient. I, I went to go pull up the tweet and it was someone had literally just liked it. Uh, so it showed up at the top of my notifications. So this was uh, in his second season, the Bucks traded... Brandon Jennings, <laughs> they, who is currently out of the NBA. They got back Brandon Knight, some guy named Vyacheslav Kravtsov, I believe he's Russian. I'm not even going to try to pronounce and, that. And uh, Chris Middleton. They may not even have traded the best Brandon in that deal. <laughs> I, and they got, they got this guy who's, you know, I, uh, you know, I grew up a Celtics fan, and so I still kind of, you know, pull for the Celtics when they're in the playoffs. And this guy knocks down shots and you go back and watch some of those seven game series the Celtics and the Bucks play or the seven game series they played a couple years ago and the series they played last year uh, he just rains threes in huge moments he's just, he's the type of guy who every NBA team should want a 6-8 wing who has who can just rain threes all day and that's what the Bucks have been able to build mostly organically and it's, it's incredible yeah I mean, they have a complete roster. They play well even when Giannis isn't on the floor. And Giannis, I mean, he's averaging 30 freaking points in 31 minutes. He's like almost averaging a point a minute. I think he's clearly, you know, the MVP favorite at this point. I, I think he's going to win back-to-back MVPs. Um, I enjoy watching him so much. I think he plays the game the right way. So, you know, I would I would be happy if we got Bucks lakers Bucks clippers I think that would be a very entertaining seven-game series. Yeah, we have so we have one more question here that we could probably address. It's uh, Corey Hardy. Yes, the playoff push was always going to come down to the final fifteen. Why should fans remain calm through these two tough losses to good teams? I would argue, you know, you're talking about three tough, or you know, a few more than a, than two tough losses. They've had a bunch of tough losses to good teams. They've played a tough schedule. And uh, what what are they right now? Let's see. They are a twenty and thirty one. The Pelicans are. Four, five and a half out of the eight spot. Memphis guys, the eight spot right now. That's the most they've been in quite some time. Uh, there are also three teams between them and yes. Memphis: uh, Trailblazers, Spurs, and Suns. So, I mean, really, there are kind of five teams jockeying for that that final playoff spot. Right, and you know, Damian Lillard had a you know he finally you know fell into a pool of ice last night and didn't score sixty. But he looks every bit like a guy who's going to will his team into the playoffs. Um, the only benefit the Pelicans have on that is they have a 2 nothing series lead on both the Grizzlies and the Trailblazers. So if they do get into a tie, they have, they're in a good space to have that tiebreaker uh, if they win one more of those games. Now, for the Pelicans, I think that there's this narrative around them that they had this really easy second half of the season. Which is true if you look at it statistically. If you go to 538 and you look at the strength of schedule remaining, they have one of the easiest. But 
it wasn't like you just flipped a switch at the 40, on the 42nd game and all of a sudden you have an easy schedule. The Pelicans played one of the most difficult first half stretches and they've now had a 20 game stretch where you know they've played the Rockets, they've played the Jazz twice, they've just played the Bucks. they have the Lakers coming up twice in their next, I want to say, 10 games. The ease of their schedule is really incredibly backloaded. The final 15 games of the Pelicans season, they only have one opponent who has a re- currently has a record over 500. And that team is the Philadelphia 76ers who have one of the most bizarre home away splits I have ever seen in the NBA. The Sixers have won 22 of their 24 games at home all season. They have a better home record than the 42 and 7 bucks. <laughs> but Send them on the road. Put them on a bus. Send them wherever you want. <laughs> and they're nine games under 500. They're nine and 18 on the road. Good Lord. I don't even, I mean, and the, the thing about that is they're the sixth seed right now. They probably should be the four or better. And they're going to end up playing road playoff. Or, you know, they're going to end up playing a game seven on the road. <laughs> and the product of that is going to be their bat on the road. Yeah. Like, can you talk about a perfect storm in terms of the playoffs and like what you've given yourself? Um, but either way, so the Pelicans, which Corey pointed out, is is really astute point. It's like that 15-game stretch, if you keep yourself close enough, yes, there's a reasonable possibility. If the Pelicans don't make any trades, there's no reason to think that they're tanking. They're going to go for it. And the question is, how good do they have to be over those final 15 games? 11-4, and 12-3, to have a realistic chance of catching up to the, to the 8th seed, which probably I... I'd guess you'd have to get to 500 to have a legitimate shot at making the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so right now, 538's got them at a 37% chance to make the playoffs. 538 is particularly optimistic about the Pelicans. Uh, basketball reference get, is giving them uh, an 11% chance to make the playoffs. Um, and as far as the latter half of, of Corey's question, you know, why should fans remain calm through these, these two tough losses to good teams? I think you should remain calm about the Bucks' loss. Like, the Bucks crush everybody. You know, they outscore teams by 12 points for 100 possessions. They just do this to everybody. I thought the Pelicans played a good game. I I can understand why you'd be frustrated about that loss to Houston. Like, that's kind of that's kind of the win that you need to have if, if you're going to make this playoff push. They I mean, should have won that game, and they could have won that game, and they, they probably needed to win that game. Yeah. To, to really kind of be in a much healthier situation right now. Yeah, I mean... You know, a Houston team that that tried out a starting lineup. Its, its tallest player was six foot six. I mean, you win the rebounding battle, sixty-two to forty-two. I think it was. You need to win that game. I mean, the the only reason they didn't win that game is because they turned it over a million times. Drew Holiday, a lot of head scratchers in that t- turnovers in that game. So Scored sixteen points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. going to get it done. Yeah, those are those are just the types of ones that that you're going to have. I just hope we we see the Nuggets. Or, wow. This is becoming a Nuggets it's podcast. It's a Nuggets podcast. We're I'm just sorry. talking about the Pelicans today. I, I just hope we see the Pelicans, you know, play with the same fight, the same effort that we saw <laughs> in this Bucks game, you know, all the way until the end of the season. You know, I, I think if they're given those similar efforts, then I don't think you can be re- really be mad at anything. Either way, the cards fall. Right. I think the, the correct answer to that question is because there's no reason to not be patient with this team right now. It's a team that's not built to win this season. You know, you knew that going in when you when you traded Anthony Davis and you brought in all these pieces. It was never going to be a smooth 
season from start to finish, especially once Zion went out, once he had all the injuries at the jump. But even if they don't make the playoffs, I think those final 15 games will tell you a lot. If they can come out, even if they, you know, if they go 11 and four and even miss the playoffs, I don't know how as a fan you can be upset because that indicates that they are a very good team that just had a lot of tough breaks and that happens. There has been several games this year when they went against the Cavs, when they went up against the Bulls and the Knicks. These are teams that are went into the season in very similar situations to what the Pelicans found themselves in last offseason. And in each of those games, you look and you see, okay, the Pelicans look like far and away a better team here. They're outclassing those teams the same way the Bucks outclassed them last night. So I think that, to me, that's a positive thing. So you, you, you don't need to think, okay, we need to sell off guys like Drew Holiday and collect assets because you're probably just a couple pieces away from being that team next year. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... Pumping the brakes and being optimistic and being, you know, long-term focused is is important, especially over those final 15 games. Yeah. So a little more than 24 hours remaining until the NBA trade deadline as we sit down and record this. Uh, we should have this up uh, hopefully this afternoon. Um, really appreciate you guys' questions today. I, I would imagine that we have a Pelicans roster that most, mostly looks the same on the other side. But, um, you know, really fun game against the Bucks. And appreciate you guys for listening. Listening, Jeff, you got anything else to add? Uh, just checking for a Woj tweet. No, we're good. We can stop. <laughs> All right, no Woj bombs. <laughs> uh, subscribe, Apple, Spotify, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Peace.